Well, I would invite you to turn with me in your Bibles to Ecclesiastes 4, 7 through 12. This is a passage that that is probably most well known because people sometimes use it at weddings. And uh, we're not doing a wedding here today. We've got everything else covered, but we're not doing a wedding. Uh, we're kind of looking forward to the wedding supper of the Lamb in the Lord's Supper, but not going to do a wedding here. But it is an important passage and, and one that is a great encouragement to us and I think one that we can identify with in what we've been going through over the past six months or so. God's Word tells us, Again, I saw vanity under the sun. One person who has no other, either son or brother, yet there is no end to all his toil, and his eyes are never satisfied with riches, so that he never asks, For whom, for whom am I toiling and depriving myself of pleasure? This also is vanity and, and unhappy business. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their toil. For if they fall, one will lift up his fellow. But woe to him who is alone when he falls and has not another to lift him up. Again, if two lie together, they keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? And though a man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Well, may God bless the reading and hearing of his holy, inspired, and inerrant word this morning. Well, one thing we learned from our springtime COVID quarantine is that we need human interaction. Uh, isolation uh, can lead to loneliness and depression. In fact, calls to mental health organizations doubled in, the, in April and May of this year, and alcohol sales were up 50%. When calling to check on people, uh, everyone the officers spoke to, as we called around the congregation, uh, everyone related how much they missed meeting together for in-person worship services. And thankfully, in May, we were allowed to get back to worshiping together. We do have numerous members who live on their own, and, and several of you related to me that you did not mind being by yourself at, at home because you're used to it, but what you desperately missed was being able to go to church or to uh, various clubs that you're member, members of, not going out clubbing, that's not what I'm saying, but bridge club or, or other clubs, that garden club, or places where they, you can socialize with others. So we, we need one another. We need other people in our lives. And do you know what the first thing that was ever described as no good in the history of the world? You know, God created everything and it was all good. And when he created man, it was very good, but there was one thing that was not good. It was not good for man to be alone. Hermann Bovink is a great Dutch theologian, um, the late Hermann Bovink, I should say. Uh, he wrote this. I, I had to share this quote because uh, there's a group of us who were looking at one of his uh, theological works and, and reading through it together. And I just happened to open the, pass, open the book to this particular passage and it was exactly relatable to the sermon. And I said, well, that must be God telling me something. 
because uh, I had no way of knowing that that page was what this said. But here we go. He's explaining these, these verses about it's not good for man to be alone. He said, Adam had received much. Though formed out of the dust of the earth, he was nevertheless a bearer of the image of God. He was placed in a garden, which was a place of loveliness and was richly supplied with everything good to behold and to eat. He received the pleasant task of dressing the garden and subduing the earth, and in this he had to walk in accordance with the commandment of God, to eat freely of every tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But no matter how richly favored and how grateful, that first man was not satisfied, not fulfilled. The cause is indicated to him by God himself. It lies in his solitude. It is not good for the man that he should be alone. He is not so constituted. He was not created that way. His nature inclines to the social. He wants company. He must be able to express himself, reveal himself, and give himself. He must be able to pour out his heart to give form to his feelings. He must share his awareness with a being who can understand him and can feel and live along with him. Solitude is poverty, forsakenness, gradual pining and wasting away. How lonesome it is to be alone. Well, what we see here is uh, the need we have for human interaction. And if you will, I'll say, and this is my first point, the need for communion. And I don't mean this communion, though that's necessary, but what I mean is community, communion with one another. We need to have relationships with other human beings. So we have a need for communion, and that's what Solomon is pointing out to us here in verse 8 of chapter 4. This picture of a man who has no one else, no son or brother, yet he works and he's never satisfied. He's a, a lonely machine, a man who's just grinding it out day by day with no one to share it with. He has no end to his wearisome labor. He has no satisfaction. He has no pleasure. And the reason? Because he has no one. He has no other, either son or brother, as it says there. And Solomon goes on to tell us in the following verses that we need companions with whom we work. We need a companion to bear us up when we are struggling and falling. We need someone beside us to keep us warm, to provide for us, to protect and guard one another. We need other people. And the last sentence is a typical Hebraic expression. Uh, you see the, the one, two, and three. Uh, though man might prevail against one who is alone, two will withstand him. A threefold cord is not quickly broken. Sometimes preachers who are doing weddings will take that verse and apply it to having God in the marriage, and that's a, an appropriate thing, but that's, this is not just a marriage verse. This is talking about the value of having more than one of having, having multiple relationships and, and being strong because you have others in your life. Everyone needs relationships. We need fellowship with others as human beings in general and in the church particularly. We can't do it on our own. We need others. The fellowship of believers 
provides us what Solomon mentions here, that two are better than one. They have a good reward for their toil. They work together. They are on a mission together. When Jesus sent out his disciples, how did he send them out? He didn't just send them out in 12 different directions or 70 different directions. No, he sent them out two by two. They had to have someone with them to to help and, and to share their work together. And we need someone to come along and lift up each other. Verse 10 If they fall, one will lift up his fellow. And we see it in the church. Not only do we need others so we can work together on the mission that God has given us, we need one another to hold us accountable, to bear our burdens, to to help us because we're sinners. And sometimes we need someone to help us with our temptations and our struggles. And, And it talks about lying together and keeping warm. Now, I'm not suggesting that in the church we snuggle up to one another. Some of you can if you're married. Uh, But what he's talking about is providing for one another, providing for one another, the needs that we have. And in the church we're called to bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. And we are at war. We are in a spiritual war. And, uh, you know, a soldier on his own is, is not really safe. You know, but with a, a larger army, you're more equipped and more powerful. Hebrews 10 reminds us, again, we could, I could list a ton of verses that talk about this, this, this principle that we need one another. But I like Hebrews 10, especially as we Think about when we weren't able to worship together and now we are able to worship together and what that means to us. Let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Well, I've heard people say in the past, and I've said it myself, uh, there are no Lone Ranger Christians There are no Lone Ranger Christians. And, of course, they're referencing the iconic character who fought bad guys in the Old West. The Lone Ranger was a former Texas Ranger, and he was out on his his own. Was he on his own? No, he was not on his own. He always had his faithful friend Tonto to help him. Now, the people who say that, and myself when I was saying it, they were tending to make the point that the passage is making here. You need others in your life to encourage and help you. And you can't be, do it on your own. However, the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. It's a misnomer. It should be the Ranger and Tonto or something like that. Or a better saying might be, even the Lone Ranger wasn't alone. He had someone to help him in his work, in his life. So you see the need there that we have. It's well illustrated in Scripture and we're continuously called to live in community with one another, especially in the church. But we have a problem. We have a problem in in our relationships. And the problem is that no earthly relationships are sure. They're not sure. And there's two reasons that they're not sure. And this is the problem we have with our communion, with our community, with our fellowship with one another. The problem, the two problems that we have is, number one, sin, and number two, death. Sin and death. 
sin. We were all sinners, and we bring our sin with us into relationship with one another. And we, you know, sin against one another, sometimes even inadvertently. And when two sinners get together, there's going to be some conflict, and that's difficult. It's true in marriage. No one gets married thinking, oh, I think I'm going to get a divorce next year. Everybody, when they're getting married, they're happy, they're joyful. They think this is the one, and they want to live with them together. But we see the divorce rates in our country, even in the church, very high. You know, people begin to sin one against one another, and, and it gets out of control. The greatest pain in life is often caused by the people to whom we are closest. You know, I, I can think, and I'm sure, you know, I'm not, I'm not any kind of great driver or anything, so I've had a few people wave to me in certain ways, <laughs> not wishing me goodwill. And, you know, it might bother me for a moment, but I'm not one of these road rage guys, so I, I've forgotten it before I've gotten to wherever I'm going. You know, it's no big deal because they're a stranger. I don't know who they are. I don't care about their opinion. And if I'm at fault, then, you know, I might say, oh, well, I'm sorry I did that or I, my mistake or whatever. But I'm not carrying that with me. I don't care. I'm not close to them. But when someone very close to me says something hurtful, you don't forget those things because they're the person you care about the most. So as sinners and in our closest relationship, we can often hurt one another very deeply. And that's a problem in our relationships. And then, of course, there's death that the, the Solomon talks about in Ecclesiastes quite a bit, reminding us of the brevity of life. And, and some of you have lost, well, I'm sure everyone here has lost loved ones, uh, some whom you've had a relationship with for many decades and, and others whose life was cut too short and you wish you had had more time with them. So there's that pain that comes into our earthly relationship. They're tenuous. They don't last forever. We like to talk about us reuniting with our loved ones in heaven, but it's, it's not going to be the same kind of thing. We're not gonna, there's no marriage in heaven, as Jesus said, so our spouse won't be our spouse there. And I don't understand that completely. But, uh, but death, of course, separates us in our relationships. So we've got the need for communion with one another, fellowship with other human beings, and God has provided a way for us to have that. But sin and death have entered in and caused that to sometimes be a great source of, of trouble in our lives as well as sweetness. So we need a solution to our communion problems. If you think about the history of humanity, when was humanity at its pinnacle, at, at its highest point of joy, fulfillment, and satisfaction? Well, you, you have to go back, of course, to the Garden of Eden before sin and death entered the world. But you have to go to the point after Eve was created. So it was after Eve was created when mankind was at its happiest place before Adam and Eve sinned against the Lord. In that span of time, they had wonderful companionship with one another. Uh, they were cleaving to one another, doing the work that God had called them to do. 
and loving one another in a perfect environment. Think about that. Your, your spouse is perfect. Wouldn't that be great? And both of them are perfect. It's not like one's perfect and one's not, but they're both perfect. So they had a, a wonderful relationship. And, and even greater than that was that they had a perfect relationship with the Lord. They communed with God in perfect fellowship there in the garden. It was bliss to have complete, perfect relationships all the way around, horizontally and vertically. But of course, sin broke that. Broke that perfection, plunged us into alienation from God and enmity with one another. Because what happened next? You know, Adam and Eve had children and Cain kills Abel. That's the ultimate relationship killer, if you will. So all this enmity entered into our relationship. So we have this broken relationship with God because of sin, and we have imperfect relationships with one another, and we were created for relationship with God and with others, and our sin is all in the way, so what's the answer? What's the solution? And of course, it's Jesus. Our Savior came to earth, and he identified with us in our loneliness when he went through his passion. You know, he was forsaken by Israel. You know, the the nation of Israel did not accept him as the Messiah. He was abandoned by the twelve in his last days. And, And even in some inexplicable way on the cross, he was abandoned by his father when he cried out my God, my God why have you forsaken me? and he was forsaken he who knew no sin he became sin for us so that we might in him be the righteousness of God when he hung on the cross and he was abandoned by the father he was sin and all of our sins were laid upon him and he bore the punishment the wrath of God in our place so that the relationship we have with God can be restored. He's the mediator between God and man. And when he was abandoned there, he received the abandonment by God that we deserve. We deserve to be abandoned by God because we've sinned against him. Jesus never did, but he bore that abandonment on himself for us on the cross. So when we embrace him as our Lord and Savior our relationship with God is restored. And through that, when we get our our vertical relationship right with God, it helps us in our horizontal relationships as we live under His law, under His guidance, under His wisdom for how we relate to one another. And see, the, 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 the joy, the fulfillment and satisfaction becomes a possibility once again. And we have a relationship that can never be broken by sin or death. He, as Hebrews 13.5 reminds us, He will never leave us nor forsake us. Never leave us nor forsake us. Well, many of you would be familiar with uh, the allegorical religious, I don't know if it's a poem or a, a little section of prose, Footprints in the sand. 
footprints in the sand. It's kind of cheesy, I know. Um, but it tells a person who has a dream, and this person sees two sets of footprints walking in the sand, and, and, uh, and then during the most difficult times of life, the person notices that there's, there's only one set of footprints. And, of course, the other set of footprints is the Lord. And so the person is disturbed by this and says to the Lord, Why, during the most difficult parts of my life, did you forsake me? Did you abandon me? And, and I was walking on my own. And the Lord says, No, that was when I carried you. Well, I would prefer to think of this all in a different, different way. Um, I feel like a curmudgeon sometimes because I'm always negating everything somebody says. But I like to think of the Lord always carrying us. He always carries us. We always need to be borne up by the Lord. It's not that we're walking beside him in our own strength and our own effort. We need the Lord to, to carry us. He holds us in his hand and no one can snatch us away. Now sometimes he carries us through the valley of the shadow of death. But what can we say? Because he's with us. We, can fear, we fear no evil. His rod and his staff, they comfort us. You see? The Lord has restored that relationship with us and he carries us. And we can know that the joy of having a relationship with our Creator and our Savior, our Redeemer and our Lord, and, and, and no one can take that away. We will have that forever. One day we will come before the, uh, to the marriage supper of the Lamb, as I mentioned earlier, and we will always be with the Lord and with His people there in perfect relationship once more. But without the Lord, none of this is possible. And in a moment as we come to the table, we're going to really focus in on the fact that we are the body of Christ. We're, we're an expression of the body of Christ here. And not only are we communing with the Lord in a very special way here at the table, but we're also communing with one another. We're a family coming before our God to worship and to be reminded that he died for us, he cleansed us and renewed us, and not just me, but my brothers and sisters here at this church. And, and by extension, brothers and sisters from every tongue, tribe, and nation in the world. So let us rejoice in the fact that God will never leave us nor forsake us. And let that help us in our human relationships as we struggle along in this pilgrimage that we're on. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you once again for your word, and we do pray, Lord, that we would value our church family uh, greatly as you did, Lord, and as you do. And Lord, we pray that you would help us, especially pray for those who are lonely, uh, who, are, who don't have strong relationships in their life. We pray, Lord, that you would be the husband to the widow, a father to the orphan, a friend to the, the lonely. Lord, we pray that you would be with them. Help us, Lord, to cry out to you, to have that relationship with you. And let that flow into a life of good relationship with others. Help us here in the church to love one another, Lord, to forgive one another and to bear one another up. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.